When he turned his back from shoulder to shoulder, it looked like as wide as the tailgate of a truck. And this darkness, literal darkness, just came like all over, just, just all over me except where I was standing. This thing let out the most blood-curdling, mind-blowing, spine-tingling scream that you've ever heard in your life, and it cut through me like a knife. And I knew that they were going to take me. I just knew it. And then the next thing I can remember is being levitated. Well, when I look in there, uh, I see two big eyes staring back at me. Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Bump Podcast, a place for the believers of the unexplained, monsters, and paranormal. Join us, and we'll go face-to-face with what goes bump in the night. you to join the members only section of the website I'm doing away with patreon soon and everything's going to go straight to the website you'll go there for bonus content early releases uh, extra behind-the-scenes stuff my personal life kind of thing plus I'm bringing in the bump hotline Uh, open up a cell phone number that is just for members Um, I'll send you text messages you can send me voicemails directly. If I might just answer the phone. It just depends on if I'm busy or not. Um, and we can start group chats. You know, just things to pull the community together as believers. So I'm really excited about that. Um, it's only $1.75 per week. I found that being the most feasible way for everybody to be able to join. Um, that's less than the price of a candy bar a month, uh, a week. So... Jump on there, check it out. If you don't like it, you can unsubscribe at any time and you're not stuck, you know, paying these big high monthly subscription fees. Um, Patreon members and people who want to just donate to the show, you can still do that. You can always go through Anchor and just do a donation to the show if that's what you want to do. But for the monthly member support, it's just $1.75 a week now on thebumppodcast.com. Also, um, if there's anything that you want to send, if you want me to review books or anything like that before you come on the show, if you're an author, if you want to exchange decals, if you're another podcast and you want to do some swag exchanges, or if you just want to send something for me to check out, um, no cursed objects, please. <laughs> I have opened up a P.O. box for the show. You can make it out to the Bump Podcast at P.O. Box 1453 at Chapmanville. C-H-A-P-M-A-N-V-I-L-L-E, West Virginia, which is W-V-25508. I can't wait to hear from you guys. I've already received some artwork and some decals. I love it. I love how this community is growing and how everybody's just so close-knit. So don't stop believing, and thank you again for the support. I love you guys. Hey there, believers. I got another fun episode for you today. Uh, This week, I'm bringing on Greg Walter. He's an author of the book, 
they're ridge walkers um those of you on youtube um yes i'm looking down reading this because <laughs> my memory is not that great uh he's a, a research historian sasquatch enthusiast and a u.s coast guard veteran so thank you sir for your service um he's going to come on today talk about his experiences talk about his book and uh just get into all things weird you know, I've had a lot of stuff going on with this show. Um, had a, a a really powerful guest. I, I say he's powerful because he's a man of God, and he's a true man of God. And we've we've talked on air, we've talked off air, but uh, I I really believe this man is anointed, and we're going to. Uh, move forward with, with doing as much as we can for the Lord while still keeping it fun for everybody <laughs> on the show. Uh, I don't know. I just, I feel like it, this things are getting better. Things are blessed. It's a blessing. So I just want to thank everybody that listens. Uh, thank everybody that has been praying for the show, praying for me. I appreciate that. I love you guys. And uh, I'll do the same for you. You know, shoot me an email. If you don't want to come on the air to talk about whatever, shoot me an email. Message me on Instagram. I try to get on there as much as possible. And uh, I've, I've made some, some good relationships, some true friends through this show. So if you need somebody to talk to, man, holler at me. All right. No further delay. Let's go ahead and bring on Greg. You, sir. All right. Thank you. Got it. All right. Hello. How's it going, Greg? Good. I am well. Good. Glad to hear that. Uh, you are the author of a book titled Ridge Walkers, correct? Yes. All right. Um, I haven't had a chance to order on Amazon. I try to get everybody's book, but it's, you know, things have been real rapid fire here this whole summer. So I apologize for not, you know, being knowledgeable in advance. Um, why don't you tell us about your book? Okay, yeah. Um, so I'm Greg Walter, author of Ridgewalkers in Two Worlds. And this was a story that was based on my personal experience with an encounter with one of these cryptids back 25 years ago. I don't have revisitations with them. I don't, you know, I don't feed them apples at night and so forth like this. Um, you know, my my experience was um, it took me years to figure it out. I think a lot of people that run into these things um realized that they ran into something very unusual and so and i'm sort of an obsessive compulsive anyways um and so i did my requisite research in this and it led me down the path of a spiritual world um mainly within native american communities and um and i and, and the more i researched the more i realized that it was very universal even though there's variances from tribe to tribe and region to region as to how they handle these things and what they represent. And, you know, so that's, that's kind of what fascinated me the most. Um, you know, the takeaway in all of this is that to think that there's, you know, we see these things as these horror figures, these skinwalkers, these horrible fanged, you know, you know, et cetera, so forth. And that probably is for good reason. Um, uh, much of that drives around, I believe that, it's how we've not been able to live sustainably on our own world. Um, and that goes into 
problems that even if you're the staunchest environmentalist, you've contributed to it. And so, sorry about that. Oh, you're fine. Um, and so the, um, so within that, you know, it was just something that, that I learned a lot. Um, I'm a student of the native lore. I, um, and not just in my region, which is in the Pacific Northwest. My encounter was in the Southern Oregon, Northern California borderlands. And, um, and so, um, and one of the things I hope to enlighten the audience with today, because uh, since you guys are West Virginia, I believe based. Um, yes, sir. That, um, that in regards to the concept of when you go West, you get more and more into these places called wilderness. So they're not state parks. Um, yeah, they're within national forests, you know, or public lands, but within those areas, um, the goal is to find places, what I call untrammeled by man. And one of the things I find interesting in a lot of these shows that they do, especially movies and so forth like this, where they show the vast Pacific Northwest and these vast forests. And, and yet you look out onto a sea of clear cuts, you know, and so, you know, um, this thing of, this thing of nobody's ever been there wrong. Um, you, you know, there's, I mean, you know, there's pretty much anywhere in the United States that you're not within 20 miles of a road, um, if even closer. And so, so when you put it in that context, you know, um, you know, and that said, you know, I should also include in that, that within that there's areas that the native tribes have used for centuries, not millions of years, but centuries where they go up and they basically commune with their gods and heroes. And, um, and there's even a quote in my book, I'll quote this from one of the chapters. Um, it was from chapter 25. And this is from Ishii, which was a book, um, um, you know, basically by the Krobers. And they were with the Department of Anthropology at the University of California at Berkeley back at the turn of the century when this poor starving Indian stumbled out of the woods and they took him under, under their wing. And he lived at the, um, at, at the Department of Anthropology, um, their museum or their, you know, their facility there in Berkeley which what a great opportunity to learn about native tribes by somebody that was a native tribesman, the last of his tribe. Right. And the quote in here is that those living in distant worlds could read and know how the people spoke and who were their gods and heroes and what was their way. And that was very thematic to me, um, you know, running throughout my book. And so what I did was I took this story, I took my encounter, and drawing from the lore and so forth like this, but also just on following the elements of story. And my goal in this one was to, to basically align it with what I would write as a screenplay. And, and so, so you've got your protagonists, you've got your antagonists, you've got you know, your heroes and villains and, um, and how that plays out. But sprinkled in there, I kind of give little hints or little clues throughout the book of my personal experience and my thoughts on how I arrived at what I feel these things are and what they represent to our world. And so, um, you know, and I get really into, you know, because it's sort of like, if you're going to talk about Jesus, you can't really talk about Jesus without talking about God. Right. And, um, and, you know, and the God would be the little people. 
and you know and it's not like i you know i woke up from eating mushrooms one night and decided this is how things are this actually carries in the lore going back you know at least a couple thousand years we don't really know i mean there's there's not a timeline you know but but it's kind of interesting one one quote i remember was that you know that that within the uk or within or within ireland that that the irish you know used to worship and had altars for the little people and those were replaced with the statues of the saints mm -hmm. and so that was about three thousand years ago so here comes organized religion into the picture and um but to think that prior to that they had their gods and heroes you know and so that kind of begs this question that you know inherently is mankind steeped in some level of spirituality where you know there's this higher being out there um you know and whether that's a salamander or you know some big some big white guy with a beard on the throne um you know or whatever colored man this is but it's a it's a hominid and you know really throughout throughout time throughout you know and all over the world there's stories of giants and small people um you know and and they're not necessarily small people i mean these things are you know the way the little people the way they're described is some of them have bird feet some of them have reptile feet and then the top half of them are you know basically a human of some sort um you know so there are these weird things but they call them immortals because they live for two to three thousand years and they go on you know um and that's and that's something that um that i think i've drawn some distinctions there as far as between dwarfism which is a medical ailment you know like this those folks are in the fossil record mm -hmm. uh, and then also small people that are you know and those are around the world some of that was driven on their environment you know with regards to um that like on the pacific islands you know if they were bigger they wouldn't have been able to sustain themselves and so and so they co-evolved into smaller people so they could so they could survive and um and then and then from there you get into the spiritual the menahuni the the woge the, the you know all these different all these different entities like this and the reason why i mention them is because go figure their requisite giants are not far behind in this and so and so you know and the thing that because i became also a skeptic in this as far as bigfoot because of the fact we still to this day do not have physical evidence and so and so within that you know we struggle with this oh they live in caves under the earth and they 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 inhabit you know there's these vast places they you know you know, no humans ever been to I mean, hey guys, you know what? In 2019, Yosemite National Park saw 4.4 million people. Um, they're getting almost a million people a month in Zion. Um, I mean, it is unbelievable the mass of humanity. And they say that like the national parks have visitations in, in excess of 300 million people that beat out every Super Bowl, church gathering, everything imaginable. Nothing tops the visitation to the national parks. Um, you know, and that's, and so that speaks also, you know, to finding these places that are what I call untrammeled by man. That's a Sierra Club quote. Um, right. but, but, you know, and this is, and this is the thing is that because you have to go into that natural setting, if you even want to remotely, you know, see one of these things. And so, and so, so here I've pointed out that basically 
we don't have physical evidence. Um, we seem to think they exist in caves and so forth like that. But, you know, if you're familiar with, with grottos, you know, what a grotto is, and yes, that's that funky place at the, at the Playboy Mansion West where it was all drippy and, you know, with water and everything with all the playmates hanging out. But there was also a grotto is actually, it's a spelunking club. And spelunking clubs, these are people that love speology, speological, you know, anything. And they're very good at exploring caves. Right. And, you know, and yet they don't seem to run across, you know, it's not like they chase out some group of big feet, in, you know, in a cave. Um, yeah. And so, so, and these guys go, go to some pretty extreme lengths to find these caves, you know, so, so it's something that I don't 100% buy into that. Um, you know, but I do, I do. And so that's what made me cross into the cosmos because the cosmos is the one field. I mean, I think we fully know about less than 3%. And so, um, and so there's a lot of room to play in that world. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of a neophyte, you know, as far as, as far as learning cosmology, um, um, you know, with regards to astrophysics, and um, you know quantum mechanics and all the things about all of the wondrous parts of the theory of relativity, and so we're 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 like babies crawling around the woods in this stuff, and so and so it's something that you know we have a lot to learn in this, and it's the one field where it's like okay maybe there's something you know that's you know we come around to this dimensional portals et cetera et cetera, and you know and so and so I played with the idea in my book that these things are in two worlds. And, um, and that's actually, that actually follows several native beliefs. I think the Sioux had them where they're the sky people, the Blackfoot nation had them the above the clouds people. Um, in our region, they're known as the upslope people. Hmm. And so, um, and so all of them point like up there somewhere. And, you know, and that's, that's also why a lot of times these, these, these shamans or doctors or whatever would go to those places to to basically learn from them and they would communicate with them and they had the ability to be able to get from them the future of what's happening with their tribe whether they were going to run out of food whether they would run into problems from fire or drought or you know any number of things like this and so and so this is where you know, it gave the the doctor both power and opportunity to to help the tribe in an otherwise inhospitable place. You know, and that transcends at least a few thousand years. We don't, you know, it's it's hard to say how far it really goes back. You know, we really don't know. Um, you know, but um, but it's interesting as far as as far as um when you when you take that aspect of it. And so so there's my rant for the morning. <laughs> that's a lot to unpack but it's super interesting um I, i'll see here i took several notes on what you were saying um this is gonna have to be on my my must buy list of books i can already tell you know that if it's packed with this much information that goes into to native lore i'm absolutely fascinated by by native lore too by the way um over here in west virginia where i'm at I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, the Adena people or the, the mound builders. They had uh, ritual burial mounds all through my area here um, up to the Snake Mountain in Ohio. And I'm actually, we're recording this late July. 
uh, in about 10 days, I'm supposed to do, take off and check out a rediscovered uh, snake mound that was found here in mm. my county. Um, yeah. It's been off the record for like 45 years. Nobody's even made mention of it. But mm. uh, it hopefully that, that little expedition works out. But yeah, I'm absolutely fascinated in, you know, in, in native culture. Mm-hmm. And what talking about you- untrammeled land, I, I think you would do well if you came over to West Virginia sometime and checked it out. Uh, about 80% of our state is under canopy. It's, it's under treetop. Uh, there are millions of acres with no homes. No, there's, there might be some logging roads from, you know, 150, 200 right. years ago. Right. But uh, you, where you guys, where you guys have it over the West is the amount of moisture you've gotten in the last 10 to 50 years, even beyond. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, that's created, I mean, literally a multi-layered canopy. Yeah. Um, and that's also, you know, that creates a diversity of amphibians. And I mean, it does all these different things, obviously based on the quality of the water, you know. Um, and so how many springs do you have kicking around where you can go right up and drink out of them? Right. Yeah. Like Appalachia, the, this Appalachian mountain range is like the second most biodiverse place on earth. So yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> You're absolutely right. There's, right. I think you would do well here. I think you'd enjoy it here. <laughs> well, you know, and you know, the other question I would have for you too, is that the Adena now, what would be the language or was that part of the Cherokee? It was, it, it predates any native tribe. That's uh, they just hung the title Adena people and mound builders on it. They uh, they predate the Cherokee, Shawnee, Pawnee, um, Wyandot okay. tribes. It's uh, okay. it's a it's a it's an ancient culture. One uh, of my friends wrote a book. This was my friend John Roth from the Oregon Caves, um, and I'll get into this this a little more. But but he wrote this book called American Elves, oh, wow. and it's basically a bibliography of the little people based on 380 ethnic groups throughout the Western Hemisphere. And um, you can't find it anymore. He printed like all of a hundred of them or something. Oh, wow. And, um, but it, but like half of the book is bibliography. And so the references are just innumerable. And, and this is where, you know, it's like, it's like along with learning about whatever respective tribe or linguistic group you're dealing with, you then go into a certain part of that that goes into their creation lore. And they've got some far out stories. I mean, we have them where there's these 25 foot salamanders in a lake and, you know, they eat the kids and all this fun stuff. Anything that eats the kids. I mean, what's not to like? um, Because because it was a it was a way with which, you know, you don't do such and so or, you know, like this. And so Bigfoot, salamanders, sharks, you know, the boogeyman, Jason, whatever. Right, and so and so you know, that all follows a common theme, and um, but 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 that is interesting with the Adena, um, yeah. This guy tracks it out with um, with linguistic stock, and so and so if you can follow the language, then from there you'll follow the culture. Oh, wow, that's that's wonderful, and I wish there were more copies because I would love to get a copy of that. Because um, you know, talking about the little people, and you said it, it would have to start with them. Uh, if you don't mind, could you break down the little people a little more? Because sure, that's, that's a that's a hot topic. People love to hear about the little people. Yeah, and it's something that um, there's actually a book that you can get, and it's this one here about the Cherokee little people were real, okay. and and it gets into this whole thing in Western North Carolina, 
uh, the Judacula rock. Um, oh yeah. Uh, there's also a Redbird rock or something in in Kentucky. Um, you know, there's there's several of these rocks you guys have going on that you know that we don't know how far back they date, but they still follow the linguistic stuff. And so, um, and so, and this is this is where some tribes had it where the little people were very active, and others really did not. You know. Um, I mean, it's not that they weren't there. It's just that it's it's at least harder for us for us Caucasian Euro-American folks to follow it. Um, sometimes what's fun to do is go to your local university library, and somewhere buried in there, they're going to have their anthropology department. And within that, you know, you get into the dissertations, the different papers, and that's where you dive into this, especially oral histories that were told by the tribes. Um, you know, the, the University of California at Berkeley, within their anthropological library, they also have their spoken language part, and, um, and those are just far out, um, you know, and it's so much fun because, because and the creation lore, I mean, yeah, is it, is it crazy and weird? Yeah, you know, um, but so is ours, you know, so is Christianity, so is Catholicism, so, I mean, you know, it's, but it's funny on how it all follows this fairly common theme, you know, um, you know, so that's, that's one thing that fascinates me is that, you know, how if the Native Americans were, were kicking around, you know, that part of Jerusalem, you know, 2000 years ago, I mean, they would have seen some, some interesting activities, right. you know, but, but instead they were relegated to, you know, somewhere off of Sasquatch Island, you know, somewhere north of Vancouver Island. And, um, you know, and Cape Paso, you know, um, but, but yeah, that's, but it is fun, you know, and that's, you know, the South Pacific is another hot spot, um, oh, yeah. just oh, with yeah. the little people, you know, um, you, you know, and Africa, and I haven't read much on China, but I guarantee they were there, you know, um, and the same thing, obviously, with, with Europe, you know, north, south, or east, or west, right. Um, you know, and so, yeah, I mean, right up to the point where right on our box of cereal, you know, and, you know, they're always after me lucky charms, you know, that's the little people. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is. And, you know, and it's interesting how some cultures depict them as, you know, they had their own villages, their own tribes or whatever. Um, others depicted the little people as tricksters and spirits. And, you right. know, it's, it, it's such a wide array. But there has right. to be some truth in there. There has to, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And that's that's what happens when, you know, you could imagine that great migration through the Bering Land Bridge and these people coming out. One of the things my friend John Roth, the guy that wrote the book, pointed out was how, you know, it was about 14,000 years ago that that these dung piles that were these huge, huge dung piles from the mastodons and the and the Colombian mammoths and you know this this big megafauna. And then that that right after that, charcoal came into the picture. Um char sorry about that. Um, charcoal came into the picture. And what happened then was um was well what happened then? Um, that was the incursion of man. And so here comes fire onto the, onto the fossil record. And then as that happened, the dung piles, i.e. the mastodons, so forth, died off. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of that was, you know, that, um, that the hominids were killing them. But part of that also was just this natural die-off that was already occurring. 
from, from various cataclysmic events. I mean, it could have been like the Missoula flood was a big one. Um, there was also the, the eruption of Mount Mazama out in Oregon. Um, you know, there were several things that, that just, that just, you know, set the stage for the demise of these large creatures. And, um, and, and, you know, and then obviously following that were the short-faced bears, the saber-toothed cats, all right. you know, all of these guys fell off the record. And so, and so, which is another thing too, is Bigfoot, you know, and I feel like the Pendak orang and so forth like this, or, or excuse me, it's the Gigantopithecus, that those guys are more, I think, in the orang family, um, whereas Bigfoot is this completely different shaped, you know, character, even though upwards of 10 feet, um, perhaps one of the closer ones would have been that discovery there in Lovelock Cave in Nevada with those giants, these giant red guys, yeah. um, or red-haired, orange-haired, you know, like this. Yeah. Um, you know, now that's kind of an anomaly, you know, um, or in other words, not not the usual finding, but at least there we've got them in the fossil record. Um, you know, never mind the fact they've hit it, you know, so it's not exactly an open topic, you know, you know, in church circles these days. Um, but but you know, we have evidence. And so, and that's and that's one thing that I follow with this is that is that you know, with regards to are they in the fossil record, are they not? If they're not, why not? You know, um, in this business of well, they're too elusive and and you know, wild animals eat the bones, and you know, okay, whatever. You know, um, I don't know if you've ever run around with with contract archaeologists and watch what they do. They're pretty remarkable at finding these things. You know, village sites, old forts, trails, roads. Um, my specialty as a hobby is I collect old Forest Service maps. Nice. It's a very strange hobby. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it's fun because they do show the old roads on there, the military roads, you know, all this kind of stuff like this. And so, um, you know, in a lot of those places, especially when you get more arid, you know, not so much in those wet places, you know, like the Appalachians, but but in the more arid West, um, I mean, those roads are still on the ground. Those trails are still there. Um, yes, the definition of insanity is trying to find old pack trails in somewhere like the Olympic Peninsula, which is a temperate rainforest. <laughs> Bad. <laughs> um, say yeah. so. uh, hey, Greg, you said that all of this stemmed from a personal experience that you had in Northern California, right? Or Southern Oregon? Yes. Uh, would, would you mind getting into that experience and telling us about what, what happened to you that time? Sure. Was it just one encounter? I, I don't mean to say just, but one, one is enough, but was yes. it the one time? Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah. And so, so I was at a place in my life where, um, <clears throat> I mean, first of all, I was in really good shape. I was going through some changes with, with who I was, what I was doing and so forth like this. And, um, and I decided to go on this, like a 60 mile kind of a loop, uh, backpack trip in a place that I didn't think was explored much. And, um, so it was kind of off the map as far as like a high mountain lake and let's go climb to the highest peak and all this fun stuff like this. I was more into these like mid elevation ridgeline ponds, meadows, you know, just wild area, you know, you know, place where people didn't normally go because it didn't offer these, these spectacular features like, you know, what we normally seek out. And so, um, and I heard that it was, it was a bit of a sacred area, you know, and I didn't know, you know, anything about that. And so, um, and so I take off on this trip and the first night I spent in one place 
and I burned some sage. And then from there, um, I went back to my truck because it was kind of like a jog, you know, off the main, the main beaten path. And, um, and I go back to my truck and I kind of resupply a little bit and I take off on this trip. And it was night number two, technically on this trip, that I, um, I came to this place and there was this beautiful cedar grove in this open meadow. Um, in later years, I would visit that place. And it was also a place of what we call communal bear pooping. And so um, where you'd find like piles and piles and piles and piles of bear poop. And, um, you know, and the bears, you know, they probably had certain places they like to go to the bathroom or something. I don't know. It was very weird. There's a couple times we've run into this, though, in the Klamath Mountains. And, um, and so at any rate, um, I didn't pay much attention to that at that time. Um, but I, um, but I set up my tent and I go over to the spring and there's this beautiful giant salamander in the spring. I went, oh, wow, you are so pretty. You know, and I picked him up and thanked him for being there and all this good stuff. And I put him back in the spring and then he went crawling back into this, into this root wad underneath these huge cedars. And the whole, the whole meadow permeated. I mean, it's like somebody kept sharpening their pencils in school. Um, you know, that smell of incense cedar. And um, so anyways, then I continued on and it was the third night that I got to a place where there was a divide that split off. It was like a, its own separate little mountain range. And I was up where like several drainages kind of came together. And there was also a geologic change. And at the time I didn't pay much attention to that, but, 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 but I recognized the vegetation as different kinds of vegetation that would normally be found on what's called serpentine. And serpentine is, it's kind of the earth's mantle has now come to the surface. And in the, in the greater Southwest Oregon, Northwest California, we have the largest unbroken piece of serpentine, if you will, that, that extends for, for at least a couple hundred miles. Wow. Um, um, yeah. And so, and that brings in all of this, you know, the serpentine botany with it. And so, because these are plants that have adapted and co-evolved into um, where, you know, most plants like to be calcium rich, mineral poor. These guys like to be mineral rich, calcium poor. And so it becomes the whole science and botany and so forth. But anyways, so, so I camp at this place. There was, a, there was an old fire ring there because it was a trail break off that took off out on this other, you know, separate ridgeline. And, um, and so I'm camped at this place and I noticed like next to my campsite, there was all this like smeared mud, like something was in a fight, you know, um, was all I could figure, like bears were brawling or something. I didn't know what to make of it. And, and by the way, this area has a lot of bears. I mean, in the meadows, pretty much like clockwork, there's, there's at least a couple bears out there, you know, so real common to see bears up there, right. um, you know, so much so that it's fun just to watch them, you know, but, but anyway, so, so then, so then from there, I go up on this, this, this kind of low divide and there was some tarns up there or some ponds. And I just took note of them and, and, you know, there was the floristic beauty and all the, you know, like all the wildflowers were in bloom because they have a real narrow window before everything gets real dry. Um, you know, so anyways, I then came back to my camp. Um, the sun was going down. I decided to take a, take a bath and dump some water over my head. So I warmed up some water on my stove and I walked over to this flat rock and I looked down and there's this footprint, like a bare footprint, you know, like a human bare footprint. And okay, this doesn't fit. 
you know, what the hell is this? You know, um, and it had a curvature at the heel. I remember this. And I actually took a picture of it, but it's but in the picture, you can't see it very well. It's like, you know, nice picture of some gravel, Greg. Um, <laughs> so, so at any rate, um, um, you know, and I would take the picture like the next day, but but at any rate, so I saw this barefoot print, went, wow, okay. Am I am I about to am I about to have a visit with a cryptid tonight? Um, you know that was on my mind, and um, and so I went back to my tent. The sun went down. The moon was coming up. It was a it was the first moon of a blue moon. A blue moon is where you have two full moons in a month. And, um, and so at any rate, the moon hadn't come up yet. It was very dark, and all of a sudden, I've got this thing. I mean, I hear this crash, crash, crash in this amphitheater area where, you know, I was basically on three sides where there was, you know, like a hill or, you know, steep boulders, brush, you know, so forth like this. There was a little trail, a little game trail. And this thing just emerged like as though he was like as though he was in the amphitheater with me. And, you know, it didn't sound like it came down from the hillside or anything. And so and so he stomp, stomp, stomp like this. And he goes over to these, there were like these ponds that were there with the Darlingtonia plants. There are these weird, um, they're, they eat, you know, they eat bugs or a carnivorous plant. And so, um, and so at any rate, they, um, this, this thing stops at the water line there and I could see him kind of hunched over and I hear this slurp, 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 drinking, 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 drinking. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If you're looking for the pack that will help you survive the worst day of your life or a pack to use for your everyday carry that you'd never have to worry about failing. If you're looking for the perfect bug out bag, the perfect bushcraft pack uh, for camping, hiking, whatever your needs, go to SquatchSurvivalGear.com and check it out. All products are 100% made in America. You can use promo code BUMP22 and save 10% site-wide. All right, that's BUMP, B-U-M-P, 22 to save 10% site-wide. This is a veteran-owned business. Like I said, every component of every product made in America, the buckles, the zippers, the straps, American-made. Um, there's never been a more important time than now to bring it home. You know what I mean? So go to SquatchSurvivalGear.com. Best products on the market I've got videos on YouTube about it if you want to see it. Um, or just go to the website. Check it out. SquatchSurvivalGear.com But wait, there's more. <laughs> hey, Chris messaged me and said that if you guys use Bump22 as the promo code this year, that he's going to increase that discount to 15%. So get on there now. Use Bump22. Save 15% site-wide at squatchsurvivalgear.com. 
I'm I'm just mesmerized by this. <laughs> and then the thing gets up and I hear the splash, 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 crash, 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 stomp, 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 doing a semicircle around me, watching me. I mean, I knew this thing, you know, had eyes on me. And I mean, I had a flashlight in my hand. I was standing right next to my tent. And I get this message in my head that said, don't even think about it. You know, I mean, like, no, no, just leave, just leave that light off, you know. And, um, and so at any rate, this thing does a semicircle. And finally, I got to see it. And I mean, it was definitely a biped, um, probably standing about eight, eight and a half feet tall, um, moving at a very measured pace, looked at me with these icy, icy gray eyes. And I couldn't figure out where in the hell have I seen that before? And I finally flashed back. I was in a Tarzan comic book with the apes, you know, um, like this. Okay, so anyways, I, um, so I see this and I'm, and I'm watching it stomp, stomp, stomp. And it just goes down the hill, drops down the hill and disappears. And um, so then I'm left with the quiet of the night out like eight or nine miles on this ridgeline and um, by myself. And, um, and so, you know, at that point, there's nothing I can do. You know, I mean, what am I going to do? Pack up and run? Um, you know, because the thing I saw, I mean, this thing could run down a deer at a dead run, no problem. Um, you know, it was just, it was just that, that athletic, you yeah. know, um, so it wasn't like the frumpy pregnant Bigfoot, you know, in the Patterson Gimlin film, um, you know, and, and so, you know, um, um, but it was, it moved my life, <laughs> you know, I mean, I just, it was so aberrant, you know, um, and at the time, I remember, did I just see a God, you know, um, I mean, I didn't know what to think of this thing. Right. And um, because, it, you know, you just don't run into eight foot bipeds at night out in the forest like this. And I had about a, uh, I don't know, maybe a two minute experience with this thing, including the water drinking episode, um, you know, and, and so, and so it disappears. Um, you know, from there, the rest of the pack trip, I mean, when I got to this meadow and there was a lake, this was like a few miles distant. Well, I went down to another lake to check and see if there were footprints there. I went, I didn't think, stupid me, I didn't think to walk over where this thing was walking to see if I could find a footprint there, you know. I don't know, you know, um, you know but anyways, I, um, so then I go on, I continue on my pack trip and I'm running into animals and they're kind of like coming up to me and, you know, um, I mean, I just felt like I was like one with the one with nature, let's call it, Absolutely. you know? Yeah. And there's, there's an interesting, just as a side note, just recently I bumped across this in the Sioux Indian lore that you know, they say that like, if you could go up and touch one, you know, that, that then it gives you some amazing powers as far as being able to relate to nature. Wow. Um, you know, um, so I, so side note there. Um, so anyways, continue on the pack trip, had a great time. Um, you know, got back to my truck, took off out of there. When I was driving down the hill, by the way, I see this Martin go running, out, you know, this little wild animal right. And years later, they would discover that as the Humboldt Martin that was brought back out of extinction. There was a, there was an isolated population. Nobody knew about. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so that was kind of far out. Um, and so then, so then from there in the ensuing years, we did at least, I did like one more trip in there by myself, full moon. There was no footprints, no Bigfoot, no salamander. No, no, no. 
you know, like this, just had a great time. The second time the fellow that was calling was was wanting to talk to me. Um, um, we went out there and, um, and this was the first time I'd taken anybody out there uh, with me. And we run into these guys that were um, that were part of this expedition um, with the with the Society of Cryptozoological Research. Okay, and there's a fellow there. It was the president of this group in New York, and um, and it was kind of interesting because you know, well, we're you know, it's like, oh no, we're just out here on a trip, but you know, and it's like we asked, are you guys looking for Bigfoot? You know. Oh no, oh no, not us. No, 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 no. But have you heard anything? Seen anything? <laughs> so knocks at the night, screams, you know, like this. No, sorry, man. You know, um, and so so at any rate, but that guy would continue to go out there and on his third trip out there, and this was like, I mean, he had to get pack horses and bring in all this equipment and oh, yeah. test for turds and you know, all this kind of mess. Um, you know, at any rate, he's doing all this activity in there. And um, and on his third trip out there, he comes back, uh, contracts an inoperable brain tumor and fell over dead in six weeks. Okay. And, you know, I thought, okay, that's the power of the little people. You know, um, yeah, all it takes is, you know, for some little deer to come running up, throw some dust on him and he's toast. You know, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm extrapolating there, obviously, but, right. but, you know, it's just, it showed me it kind of taught me the power of the area and the reason why, you know, I mean, I actively try to discourage people from going up there um, unless you have the training. And that's the thing is that, so then I dive into the native lore on this and they have a very strict regimen on how they approach and see these things. I learned in later years that you knew you were on the right path going up there and you, there were prayer spots you'd have to stop at. There were different places you would have to, um, you know, go to and do a procedure or whatever. And you knew you were on the right path if you saw a salamander in a spring. Okay. Mm. And in later written lore, the salamander in the spring was actually the shapeshifter. And the shapeshifter would have been one of the little people. And there's one of two types that live on these ridgelines that are the immortals. Um, and these immortals, you know, so so one is the water baby. That's what I saw. The other one is a land baby. And, um, and, and, and so and this is written up in their lore. You know, it's almost in like doctoral dissertations. You have to find this stuff, you know, to dig it out. Um, you know, but but basically it was this lesson, you know, in um, in the procedure. And what what I did basically on this trip was. I followed what these doctors or shamans do to go up and communicate with this thing. I don't know the song. I've had it sung to me, but they have a song that they sing and they sing to the Bigfoot. And then from there, that's a song of introduction that basically calls them in. And then they have a song seeking knowledge. And the knowledge could be that there's no salmon that are going to run next year. Prepare. There's going to be a blight on the acorns. You're not going to have the acorn harvest you expect, you know, and so all these different things that could affect food security and, you know, and obviously tribal survival, wow. and so, you know, and they've tapped into that and they've got a procedure and, you know, and that's why I like these skinwalkers and all this kind of stuff. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if there's somebody out there that knows how to communicate with those things. 
um, you know, now that person, you know, another thing too, with the little people, it's kind of a trip is that since they live two to 3000 years, that they're very sad. And the reason why they're sad is because they get to know a doctor or shaman 50 or hundred years, you know, something like this, they, they develop a relationship with this one person and then he dies, you know, and then here comes another one and another one and another one and another one. And so, and so, you know, it's, it's something that that's, that's just the bane of our mortality as opposed to the immortality Right. You know, and those that work with that, you know, and and birth that, you know, and so so it's kind of, you know, it's a it's really interesting, though, when, you know, to your audience, you know, to dive into the local lore and learn more about that and, you know, and to tap into these, let's call them nature spirits that mm -hmm. um, that can lead you to this giant. If that's what you seek, you know, just be careful of what you ask for, you know. Um, you know, and you better know how to approach this thing because what I saw was, I mean, yeah, there was no way I was going to pull a gun on him. Um, you know, and that kind of brings up another thing is that if you carry cameras out there and guns and you know, all this kind of stuff, even a hunting knife, I mean, probably a knife you might be able to get away with if it's not like, like oiled in a sheath, but these things pick up on that. And they're, they're very, very astute to the scent of these micro oils that are in like your cell phones and you know, all this kind of equipment. And that's why, that's why what they do is they do the worst thing that you could imagine. They disappear. You know, right. You'll never see them. And wow. so, you know, they're watching you, but you're not watching them, you know? And so, and so, and that's just, that's just something to, you know, try going out there. Okay. You've tried the game camera route and you've tried to try going out there without any of that stuff, you know, and try to follow a procedure, you know, and, um, you know, because so that's, so that's, so that's one side of it. The other side of that too, is that um, did what I experienced was it an archetype and, because I have a friend that's a student of Jungian psychology. And within that, you know, we get into the topic of archetypes and, um, and how it's this very real hallucination that definitely happened. Wow, that was really powerful. You know, but my, my, my rhetoric to that is that do archetypes leave footprints? Right. You know, and that's, <laughs> no, <laughs> you know. <laughs> So, you know, um, yeah, and that's, that's where hallucinations, you know, I mean, that's great. And, you know, what you experienced was a hallucination, but if you saw footprints, you know, or there was some, some other kind of physical evidence, then that kind of blows that out of the water, and, uh, um, yeah. I think, you know, and so, and so then we're back around to, you know, so what is this thing, you know, um, and, you know, what does it represent? And, you know, um, and to look back into the history of man and our relationship with these, where does it lead us? You know, so, so yeah, I, and I touch on this in the book, but, you know, see, once again, I had to follow a story and plot and yeah. do all that kind of stuff, but, but I do get into, you know, some of the spirituality of these things and especially just the spirituality around nature, you know, and how, you know, to think like the impact of the salmon, where the salmon come up the streams and basically they're eaten by bears. The bears go up in the forest and purge themselves. I mean, literally barf up salmon because there's so many salmon in those streams. They go back down, you know, eat more salmon. So they're gorging. And, um, but what that creates is the perfect fish, you know, fish fertilizer for a forest, 
you know, and this happens over the course of 200,000 years. Right. And so this isn't anything new. But then within the last 150 years, we go in and do the overfishing on the salmon, the overlogging, you know, you know, knocking over these these monarchs for trees. And then from there, so all it takes is a heat, a drought, you know, any number of things like this. Well, then here comes fire. And, um, you know, and we've seen this just in natural cycles on the landscape, no right. doubt about it, you know, but, but here, you know, the difference now is that, you know, we've got, we've got, you know, 9 billion people on the planet. And so, and so, yeah, what, what, what upsets the, the apple cart, you know, and, um, and to think that if you could talk to one of these things, are they portending this to you? Hey, bad things are going to happen. Here's how it's going to lay out. Yeah. You know, um, I, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know about all that, but um, but I had fun writing the book. Uh, yeah, speaking of talking to these things, when you said that you had this this message that you received, or a, I don't want to put words in your mouth, was it a message you received from this creature of "Don't even try that light"? It was just, yeah, it was a vibe. It was something that said, don't even think about it, you know. Um, and, you know, and that, in a way, you know, it's kind of funny when you think about that, you know, perhaps it was the way he looked at me, you know, sometimes you can look at somebody and, okay, don't mess with this guy, you know, right. um, you know, kind of look. And so, and so maybe that's just how I interpreted it. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's another interesting point to this, because there's another guy that kind of follows, you know, I think me and him are on the same page on this, Ron Moorhead. Oh, yeah, um, I'm very familiar with Ron Moorhead. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and the thing with his with the Sierra sounds and so oh, forth yeah. like that, that was another woo moment, because I just last year or something, I, you know, I, they sent me the CD, and I was listening to this, or I think it was like a year and a half ago. And, um, and I was listening to it. And then there was one sound with, the, you know, the weird noises that they made in this thing. And I went, I've heard that before. And I thought back. And so about three years before my encounter, I was up at the high mountain lake and, you know, you know, next to the big peak. And, um, and some hikers had left out of there and I had to hike in. I mean, it was like a strong day and a half hike in there. Um, and, um, and at any rate, um, um, so, so I'm camped there by myself, you know, the moon about to come up and I hear that sound. And I thought, that is the weirdest damn thing. It scared the bejesus out of me because it just, it, it sounded like it was pretty close, right. but it was yelling, you know, it was like, it was like something was in a, you know, it was rather stressful. And, um, and I didn't know what to think of it. And I was just freaked out, you know, for, for a solid couple hours. And, um, and then it just went away, you know? And so, and so I didn't see any bears, I didn't see any elk. You know, I thought that's the strangest sounding coyote I've ever heard. That's how I wrote it off, you know? And then pan ahead 27 years, you know, here comes Ron and his, you know, I went, oh my God, that was it, you know? Um, and the thing that struck me with Ron's thing though, was that, um, was that he, um, I think what it was, was that he researched it and it came down to, a certain, it was a certain native language stock. And he went to Mexico to even look at it further, because that's where that language stock really comes from. And then so I pull out my linguistic stock map of Northern California and Southern Oregon, bingo, there's a there's a um, like a big spot on the map that shows that language stock. 
And I went, oh my God. Okay. And so, and so if you could communicate, you know, if you learn that language stock, perhaps now you can actually communicate with these things, you wow. know? Um, yeah. Cause they're not going to know, sorry, they don't know the lingua franca of English, right. you know? So, um, and so, yeah, because, you know, we've only been on the landscape for, uh, you know, at best 150, 200 years, you know, 400 years, maybe depend how far West you go. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Pardon me, but yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just something that, um, that, that stuck at me, you know, as far as, as far as knowing language. Mm, yeah. Wow. Well, you know, I, the thought of communicating back, you know, that, that's something that just escapes me because All right. the the visual of you know coming face to face with something like this i think i would forget completely about trying to talk trying to communicate i'd probably be hoping that it just didn't see me or eat me or throw <laughs> throw me through a tree or something you know i'm hoping for that uh that peaceful encounter when when you saw this did you did you have a sense of fear or was it just yeah. awe? Both, you know, I mean, I was absolutely freaked out, which, you know, so the aberrant thing to do in that situation, could you imagine if you just started singing, <laughs> you know, and, um, and sometimes animals, you know, they react in really interesting ways. Sometimes I sing to my rattlesnakes because I have these rattlesnakes that you know, live nearby. I take water out to the rattlesnakes, <laughs> um, you know, and, um, but sometimes you sing or just talk, calmly to them and and they respond very nicely you know um i mean they're watching you and you know and because it's like you know you're supposed to be scared of me hello right you know, you know and instead you're you're very calm and you know i mean they pick up on that you know and that's and that's the thing because i tell tell my friends you know if i take a friend out there with me or something you know stop scaring the rattlesnakes you know because we get freaked oh my god rattlesnake ah you know and it's the same with bigfoot you know, whereas could you imagine being calm and, you know, singing or playing a musical instrument like a flute or something like this, um, you know, how that thing would react, right. um, you know, because it's just it's it's unexpected, you know, and it's just it's something that um, could you actually draw them in. And this is where I think the encounter part, you know, that people see these things that these things come here from the other place. Let's pretend for a minute. And let's also pretend that when they come here, are they here for two hours, two days, three weeks, you know, to a full year? Um, we, don't, we don't know. Um, the thing I saw could easily, easily go across river canyons. I mean, this thing, you know, you'll imagine the same range as a timber wolf, um, you know, because they can, they can lope right along. Right. You know, so, and so the opportunity of, like, even though you might be over in a separate mountain range, separate wilderness at some cabin or something like that, and all of a sudden you're getting rocks thrown at you. Yeah, okay, you know, um, and, you know, but where did that thing come from? And did I experience a point of origin? And so where this thing transitioned to here at the moment that I was, that I was witnessing it. Wow. So, and so that's another heavy you know, you know, I'm still sorting that one out, right. uh, you know, and I, I mean, look, guys, I'm not a scientist, you know, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a mathematician, I'm not a cosmologist, um, but this thing of dimensional theory, you know, really blows my mind, 
And, um, and I just, you know, I mean, like, where do we go with that until we really learn? I think Brian Green cracked some level of dimensional theory, but at a very, very microscopic level. And so, you know, how do we relate that to, to, to some 10 foot animal being able to use it? What's the level of intelligence of that, of that, of that creature that can do that? Right. And at that point, does it come into intelligence or is it uh, just some inherent ability of raising or lowering a vibrational frequency and all that, you know? Right. And right. then so there's the, the, the desire that we have to explain everything. And right. if we can't explain it, we can always just say, well, it's interdimensional. <laughs> that way, you know, we, 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 it's kind of like a, a, a freebie, a free pass for some of that stuff. Well, yeah, but then, but then, but then it's like, okay, so, so that's where you, you as the interviewer could go deeper with that. So, well, what is, what does that mean to you? You know, right. Um, you know, well, it's, uh, I don't know. I read a comic book, you know, I mean, <laughs> what's our, what's our relationship with, with interdimensional science, you know, um, and, you know, and all we can do is extrapolate at this point. Um, yeah, that's why I enjoyed one of Neil deGrasse Tyson's spiels on, you know, where you have an idea, okay, like, for instance, the moon is made of cheese, right? right? That's an idea. <laughs> yeah, that's an idea. But now you want to turn it into hypothesis. So then you come up with other people or, you know, or you know, other papers written, well, yeah, the moon, you know, there's parts of that that really are cheese, you know, all right, well, then from there, it turns into hypothesis. Well, then you've got to do further testing, maybe get some samples, you know, things like this, and they come back with these moon samples, God, look at this cheese, you know, um, now you got a theory going, okay, it eventually turns into fact. You know, and so, yeah, clouds drop rain, fact, you know. Right. The sun comes up in the morning, fact. You know, <laughs> yeah, so, and so, and those are, and this is where, you know, I, I think we tend to, you know, like Bigfoot, Bigfoot is real. Well, temporarily, you know, um, yeah, I mean, well, he's here, you know, but, but where is he the rest of the time? And this is where I become more of a skeptic in this, as far as, you know, the whole thing around, um, you know, that, that they're here 24 seven, like some hominid. Right. Yeah, that's harder to to wrap my head around too, especially when you have incidents like you you saw yourself of the footprint. Yeah. Well, you'll see often, or there's encounters or stories of seeing these these tracks going, and they'll lead out into an opening, and then nothing. They just disappear. You know where they're, if they're not walking backward exactly in their steps, where did this animal go? You know, right. if, if it's just an animal, where did it go? Because no other tracks will just stop unless it can fly. Right. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, though, too, Greg, before uh, I know we've been on here for a minute, but um, when you describe this thing, you said it's like eight and a half feet tall and these icy gray eyes, um, like something out of a Edgar Rice Burroughs novel, right? Uh, yeah. This Tarzan creature. Uh, can you can you give a physical description of the rest? Like you obviously you, you said it was more of an athletic build than, than the big yeah. boxy you know yeah so so very athletic very um could move very gracefully um you know definitely heavy stomp 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 like this i mean this thing weighed something you know so he so so definitely had some muscle mass right um, you know and um and could just i mean i i got the impression that this thing 
can easily run down a deer, no problem at all. Wow. You know, so so as far as it being a predator, you know, you know, basically an opportunistic omnivore, easily, you know, and could live off the land, definitely. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. And so as so I got no no compunctions with that. I mean, I and that was one of the things that actually made me rest easy at night was because number one, I felt like I did all the right things. And, and I didn't have this thing throwing rocks at me or, you know, I didn't have, you know, any of that going on. And I was in a tent. I mean, you know, you know, he could have walked over with a club and pummeled me and that would have been that, right. you know, and, and instead it just disappeared into the night. Um, in a way, I think that, you know, in some ways he probably thought that I was a failure or it was something, what the hell is this idiot, you know, you know, doing here when it should have been like one of the doctors or shamans or somebody like this to communicate with him. And so in a sense, did I call this thing up and then stupid me wasn't able to talk to him? Well, you know, it sounds like you accidentally did a ritual, you know, right. you, said, you said you got out of your car. Um, were you going to seek some kind of experience or encounter? Cause you said you lit and you burnt sage when you got there. Right. Is, is that just something you do to calm yourself or is that something that you were, were you intentionally? I, you know, I mean, I do that a lot, you know, sometimes on pack trips and stuff, burn a little sage, you know, and, you know, in a real nice. And so no campfire, um, you know, um, yeah, I didn't have a campfire for the whole trip. Um, wow. You know, did not want it, didn't need it. There was a full moon. I mean, to hell with fire, um, right. you know, and so, and so all of these things, I think, you know, are markers for it's like, okay, we've got a nature boy, you know, you know, coming up here and, um, and we'll open ourselves to him, yeah, you know? Um, and so, and so that, that was what, um, stuck with me, you know? Um, I mean, it was, and, and yeah, was I thinking all these things as I was going up there and, you know, well, I might see Bigfoot, what's Bigfoot, what's Bigfoot, you know, um, probably, you know, but yeah, there's nothing wrong with that, you know? We're yeah, right, because I'm going out there by myself, Right. I, I knew it was a wild area, you know, that the trails are unmaintained and, you know, the forest service is just horrible about, you know, but, but occasionally I'd see these cairns. So somebody yeah. had been there, you know, so I was able to follow cairns, you know, and, but I mean, every, like there were parts there where like every 200 yards, I was dropping my pack, finding the trail, grab the pack, go back and get the pack. You walk another 200 yards, drop the pack, find the trail. Right. I mean, kept going like that. That's why I mean, three miles in one day, you know, and, you know, and exhausted after it, you know, um, yeah, but, um, but it's just, you know, I, and it's funny, because in some respects, I did try to mimic it, and it didn't work, you know, and so, and so, you know, um, and that's, you know, is, is that really that dissimilar from, from going to church, and that one time that you went, there was Jesus, you know, Right. And, and so I don't really think it really is, you know, I mean, you know, who has that experience, you know, I mean, I'm sure some people do, you know, right. but, but most don't. Yeah. That's like a, a classic Bigfoot hunter or not Bigfoot hunter, but a ghost hunter. Yeah. If you go out and you catch paranormal evidence, every single time you go out, you're hoaxing, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? You you had that chance encounter. You had that experience that was right there waiting for you for you to have at that moment. That was yours, right? Um, 
and it's it's not on our terms for when that kind of stuff happens man I, right right yeah and so and that's you know and it's 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 just the wonderment of it all you know um i think that's how we have to release it you know but but yeah i wrote about the experience i wrote about my life and you know at the time also because because you know i think we were um on a separate note i was involved with a treasure hunt that went on for 25 plus years um you know and that was with a friend that he actually developed these machines um or helped develop these machines that you know he traveled around the world finding uh, finding gold in different capacities oh. you know using long range location equipment awesome. and, you know um you know and also using like emisticity and tying in that with resisticity that then created a carrier wave that then you know could either find minerals water or um or like caverns caves you know stuff like that and um and yeah yeah it's you know so that was fun and then from there i'm also a student of the natural history and also became an activist um when i when i got married or it was prior to getting married actually well it was during i got married um that that i did a campaign to expand the oregon caves national monument and that was the same area where that guy um oh what was his name um i'll think of it here in a second um he was the one that um the psychologist that saw bigfoot up at the oregon caves and he's written all kinds of bizarre books about it uh, matthew johnson i think i'm not familiar with him for some reason uh, um, i i have a book um matthew johnson. yeah he wrote this this whole thing on the sasquatch people and you know i mean it's it goes into the woo um, i've yeah. heard of the xanu i yeah 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 you know what he's nuts um, is he <laughs> well i don't know I mean, I, you know it wasn't anything well you know the thing with his thing and and several of my friends have pointed out and also i knew the gal that interviewed him um because i'm familiar with the park service staff right um, and so and so because i got involved with expanding the national monument there and then that got me onto the board of the crater lake and oregon caves natural history association Wonderful. where i still serve on that board today um you know, and they, I mean, if I mentioned this to them, they just cringe, you know, but, um, but, but, you know, with, with this, it's just that, you know, the thing with his encounter, at least from what I was told, number one, it led to his divorce. Number two, the kids and the wife never saw anything. It was just him. And, um, and so the, the whole thing gets, gets really flimsy, you know? Wow. Um, and so, and so once again, did he experience an archetype, right. you know? Um, and, you know, and this is, I mean, you know, and that's the thing with a lot of these encounters and sightings and people, you know, I mean, I watch these movies about this stuff and, you know, it's like, wow, you took the time to make a nest and then film it, you know? Um, <laughs> and so, so, you know, I mean, it's, it's really hard for me to say, wow, that's, that's the God's honest truth, you know? Right. Um, and I just, I can't buy it, you know? Um, um, but yet, sprinkled in there like this guy tom powell that wrote this book about edges of science you know um you know and i think that there's things that he touches on in there you know like that quicksilver curtain and i don't think he's far off the mark there you know he's probably wrong but not by much you know yeah. and um because because seriously what does a portal look like is it some shimmering disc like you know you know what we see in any number of fantasy movies or right. is it just this weird 
looking wavy thing in the air that you don't know what the hell it is until you walk through it and you're going, Oh shit. You know, yeah. Um, pardon my friend. You're fine. You're fine. But, but you know, I mean, that's, that's where, that's where, you know, but at least, but at least I think they're coming close. And that's the thing with Ron Moorhead is that he might not be a hundred percent on this, but I think he's dug on close. Oh yeah. Yeah. I have his quantum Bigfoot behind me here somewhere on that show. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. And, and so, you know, and it's a must read, you know, I feel like is. if you're really into the whole Bigfoot thing, um, you know, I mean, it breaks down the science of it and um, you know, and there's a couple of books on dimensional and they get uh, like Mount Shasta and the, you know, you know, the Lemurians and the tall purple people or, I, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, um, I mean, it makes for great cereal, but um, yeah, I don't know. You know, I mean, it's just something that we really, at the end of the, at the end of the story, we, we're still left with questions. That's it. That's it. That's, that's with all of it. You know, we're, we're still sitting here right now with questions, you know, <laughs> right. that's, that's what I love about it. Um, Greg, right. let me, let me ask you, can you tell everybody where to find you, where to find your book? Oh, sure. Yeah. So um, I do have a website, uh, www.theridgewalkers.com. Um, the book is on Amazon. It takes a little bit of scrolling. If you, well, it depends if you want the Kindle one. There was one I I published in April, and then I went through and did a bunch of edits on it. And um, and what I did was I bought out all the books, you know, so that way I could have all the bad ones. Um, <laughs> but at any rate, um, and then there was one that's dated like May fifteenth that has all the edits and it's got my personal story in there, and um, and that's the one. So that's the one to purchase. Obviously, would love reviews um you know and um and yeah and would love to be on the podcast again um yeah and so you know this has been great um yeah but research research your cherokee there i will you know, and and you know go into that lore and you know if you can pin down like who the more contemporary tribal people were from the adena you right. know and i think that i think that you'll be on a good thread there yeah we were we were more uh, of a shawnee area here shawnee okay yeah Okay. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're we're all about local history and uh, native history. There, there's a there's a whole lot to it here, you know. Uh, oh, I bet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and there's there's areas that are hot spots, you know, around the United States, and um, and they 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 draw in this stuff. And if you know how to approach these places, you know, um, and you get in there in the right thing, no campfires, don't bring your gun and all that stuff. Um, yeah, you'll see this stuff. You know, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't have any plaster plaster to make a plaster cast or, right. you know, so in a sense, my proof is just me, right. you know, or, you know, the provenance there. But um, but I think we have a lot to learn in this. And I think that there's that there's a lot more to look forward to. Absolutely. I do, too. And I appreciate you coming on. And definitely I would love to have you back on anytime. OK, perfect. Thank you. Thank, thank you. I appreciate you so much, time. Greg. You have a All good right, evening. You. And. Uh, I'll, I'm gonna go on Amazon tonight and buy your book. Okay, yeah, and then go up on the website too, you know, because I have my blog up there and I need to add more to it. And you know, ship's work is never done. <laughs> Absolutely right. <laughs> Thank, right. You. Thank, Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. That's it for this week, guys. Thanks for listening. If you want more content, if you want to submit your own story to be on the show, if you want to listen to past episodes. Or if you want to donate to the show, you can do all of that through thebumppodcast.com. So just go there, 
um, explore the website, check it all out. If you want to sign up to be a member, it's super cheap. It's just $1.75 a week. You can cancel it any time. Get in on uh, all the, the new, latest, and greatest stuff we have going on. All right, so again, thanks for listening. I love you. God bless.
this place to If you're at a place in your life that you're you're ready to give your heart over to the Lord, then I have a little a little message that I found that if you repeat it and you believe it in your heart, this could help lead you closer to God to to let Jesus Christ save you. And it goes like this: Heavenly Father, I come to you from the depths of my heart, realizing that I have sinned. I repent of my sins and confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and died on the cross for me and my sins. I believe that you raised him from the dead. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and live in me now. I receive by faith you as my personal Lord and Savior. I receive your Holy Spirit as my comforter to help me obey you and do your will. It is in Jesus' name that I believe and receive the things prayed this day. Amen.